right, FKU 50 listeners, welcome back to another podcast episode. Uh, We are excited here today to have a guest, John Wagner. And uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, better sex after 50. Say what? Say what? So that's where we're going today with this conversation. We hope we learn some new um, positions. And I'm sorry, um, (laughs) some good, uh, we're going to have some good content and good talk today. And I, for one, know that one of the things that I have found out recently that I've been married to my wife for 30 years in June, two beautiful growing daughters in college. And one thing that we have failed to recognize over, heck, probably 26 or 27 years is we have slept the nights away fully clothed, meaning, you know, I had boxers on, you know, my wife had her panties on and and we didn't realize how foolish were we for so many years we weren't sleeping naked and um kind of discovered wow and that's like skin on skin let the love begin is i think is a deaf leopard lyric kind of realized that those clothes that you wear even though they're small they actually really do get in the way of potentially you could have some um progress progress you know you never know what might uh yeah Say it, Doug. Like, pop up. (laughs) Like, bam, don't hold back, Doug, right out of the gate. (laughs) So anyway, we're going to talk to John and uh, hopefully Jeff and Kent. I'm sure they'll have some good input. And hopefully Randy, our producer, he's welcome at any point in time to share as well. To my right, again, Kent Garner. Hello. Here to uh, my cousin, awesome, his brother, Jeff. Hi. We're here together co-hosting this podcast session today. And again, thank you, John, for being here. You're quite welcome. I'm glad to be here. So, John, how did you get into sex? Well, besides the obvious, I mean, as a therapist, my wife and I went through a divorce in the early 90s, and the only thing that ever helped us is what I do now, which is Imago Relationship Therapist. So we got remarried, and she wore our daughter's wedding dress and used it the year before. We just didn't know it was Pearl Harbor Day was the day we got remarried. So we celebrate two wedding anniversaries. And out of that, I didn't need a job, but I just felt a calling to help couples find the dream we had found. So at 47, I started grad school. At 50, you know, I was making probably six digits in real estate, and I got out and went to zero income. But I had a dream, and that was only working with couples, which is what I've done ever since. Well— Along the way and along the training, I thought, you know what goes hand-in-hand with this is a couple's sexual relationship because a lot of times when they have problems, that's one of the things that goes. They don't understand what's going on, and it's a complex subject. So that's how I got here. You know, it's probably been doing this 25 years now. It's hard to believe a quarter of a century. Wow. And it usually comes up with every couple. So you got remarried— and then are you you're still married to that yeah. person still? So we have eleven grandkids now. And if we hadn't have gotten remarried, those grandkids might not even know us. But mm-hmm. so it's been a beautiful journey. We're like two lovebirds on a honeymoon. So now that you've been working for twenty five years with couples. Right. what is the typical scenario that you keep running into? Well, Infidelity is actually one of the major ones, but a lot of couples don't understand each other. Yeah, they don't understand each other to begin with. That's Mm -hmm. probably one of the major problems. You know, it's like sometimes they sound like they're explaining a situation. It doesn't sound like they live on different planets. It sounds like they live in different universal realities. They're talking about one instance, yet they have radically different viewpoints. And that viewpoint is developed over a lifetime of experiences. And that becomes our reality, which includes their sexual relationship. Well, how come people don't like to talk about sex? Even couples that are married, a lot of them don't. It's a vulnerable subject. It's really hard. And it's one of the few times that we're completely vulnerable because we're unclothed and it's hard to talk about actually the solution is to talk about it so in imago we teach dialogue so they understand each other and have a better opportunity of understanding that but at the very least couples are information star believe it or not about the subject the research now is saying families should talk about marriage to their children when they're 18 or 17 or 16. Let's talk about that. But first, I'd like to kind of introduce our listeners sure. to to John. FKU50 would like to welcome John Wagner. 
Obviously, we've been talking to him for a little while to the podcast. John is a nationally known relationship coach and author, having been on radio and TV dealing with relational trials and successes. His goal as a relationship coach is to help individuals and couples reach their potential. John is a licensed mental health counselor in the state of Florida and a national certified counselor. As an author, John has written Rebuilding Broken Bridges for Couples, and it's accompanying workbook that he and his wife, Susan, used to facilitate workshops all over the U.S. John and his wife have walked through their own marriage crisis and the healing they received from the Imago relationship model. This is what has inspired him to write his book. John and Susan have three adult children and 11 grandchildren. Yeah, 11 now. Nice. That's awesome. So well, let's just kind of take off where we left off sure. there. And um, so you talked about communication and the difficult of husband and wife or couples to talk about. I've been married for 30 years in June. Is there an advantage to having been married for a, a long time? And, you know, after 50, most, well, maybe not most, but I ought to say the majority of couples have been married for longer than 20 years. Uh, you've been married that long. Is there something about getting more mature in your relationship, more mature in your marriage post-50? It's a great question. Here's sort of the theory behind it. If we have insecure attachments in childhood, we tend to have insecure attachments in adult love relationships. So if we had secure attachments in childhood, we'd probably have secure attachments. That kind of a couple probably has a greater chance of having a happy marriage. But here are the statistics. Let's take 10 first-time marriages. Half of them get divorced. We never talk about the other five. Three out of those other five are probably what we call an invisible divorce. They stay married for the kids, cats, dog, church, God, or some reason, and they're not happy, which I don't think God intended us to be like that. He in Deuteronomy says he wants our marriages to be like heaven on earth. So that leaves two, two that are probably in a happy marriage. Now, what we know about in second-time marriages, 65% get divorced, and in third-time marriages, 72% get divorced. How about fourth? I'm coming up on number four pretty soon. Well, I'm on 10 myself. <laughs> I, I have a great office on Lee Road, by the way, yeah. Winter Park, Florida. <laughs> 1850 Suite 122. You could have made bank off of me, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that's uh, statistically so. It is possible. Anytime you have statistics, everybody's not in the median, to have a happy, connected, attached couple that have been married for 30-plus years. Um, we didn't get it right the first time, but we did the second time. God had a lot to do with healing our marriage, but Imago therapy was the clinical skills that let us walk it out. Without those, I don't think we'd have made it. So, John, one, explain what Imago uh, That's a good question, model. too. Harville Hendricks is one of the gurus in the country on relationships. In the 80s, he developed the process with his wife. The word imago is a Latin word for image, meaning we grow up getting an image of our caretakers, negative and positive, and those role models are going to affect us. And then there's some men that grow up and don't have a father at all, and they don't know how to be a husband or father. So he chose the word imago as a Latin word for image because image relationship therapy doesn't have much punch. <laughs> but imago sounds more erotic because it's a little bit different flow to the name because nobody knows what it means like, right. like you. But it does mean image. Hmm. Yeah, and it it is erotic. It, it, that goes with sex, right? Well, you know, I'm sitting here thinking God hardwired us, you know, with males is with optics. You know, that's right. what gives us our arousal and whatnot, you know, it's it's almost like a blessing and a curse because when you're 25, it works really good. But when it's 50, it doesn't work so good anymore. I've, I've figured that out. It's because your eyesight goes bad in old age. That's by design. <laughs> that way your, your significant other looks a lot better as time goes by. So keep your glasses off. Keep your glasses <laughs> off. I stood up in my church. The pastor wanted me to teach on family. So I stood up there. I was in my 60s. I said, I never thought I'd be in my 60s married to a hottie. And then all the other guys had to say, well, I'm married to a hottie, too. But I got the Rolls Royce. She got the Chevrolet. So what can I say? <laughs> That's awesome. What's so good about 
sleeping naked, skin on skin. I mean, what is the advantages to um, sleeping that way, or um, you know, versus you know, with a, with she may have her night robe on, or you know, and he might be in his boxers. Doug, and, you don't wear a night robe to bed. You take the night robe off. You wear pajamas. I have my pajamas on, and my wife has the boxers on, and uh, so role reversal. And yeah, it? there you go, the Chevrolet and the Rolls Royce, right? Cross dressing. So, so, John, tell us just a little bit about. I mean, I mean, I, I think there's an advantage to that. Am I am, am I right or wrong? Well, I don't think you're wrong. I mean, I think it once again depends upon the couple. Th- this subject is so complex, and I've studied it and studied it, and I feel like I've just scratched the surface. Because for one thing, there's a science behind it, and how many of us study the science behind anything, unless we're scientists? So that might be the couple who's more connected, feels more comfortable. But then sometimes a woman or even a man sometimes might feel uncomfortable because that means we are totally vulnerable with each other. And once again, that's the issue with why most couples have a real difficult time talking about this subject which is the very thing they need to do. Do you remember what dad told us about sex when he had our sex talk? It's very science, very Dr. Lee scientific like. No, he just said stay away from women. <laughs> that was my entire sexual education. Actually, Paul said the same thing. <laughs> it is not good for man to marry. <laughs> right. And you can't say that. Better for him to be single. <laughs> well, maybe my dad's control. wiser than I figured on that subject. I just figured he didn't really want to get into it. So, I mean, as boys, mom was the uh, person that spoke up and said this, that, and the other. So as children, I guess it's probably a good idea. Hopefully you have parents that are going to be a little more forthright about sex and going into adulthood. And does that give me, the child, an advantage if my parents are a little bit more open and a little bit more forthright, and I guess if they're that way, then maybe their relationship is more sexual and more open? Yeah, because once again, our parents probably don't know the information either. Actually, the researchers are saying we should be talking about sex to our kids by the time they're eight because they're seeing it everywhere and they're hearing it. I read somewhere where the number foresight for seven-year-old boys is porn. Wow. Now, the problem with porn is it perverts what is a beautiful thing. So I'm not in here trying to say yay or nay about porn, but if a kid that young gets on it, then it's going to pervert his natural evolvement of his sexuality because that's before our sexuality really starts changing, hmm. which so, used to be adolescence, but it might be a little younger. You know, the weird thing is, so communicating about sex is difficult for people but having it isn't. There's, what, 7 billion people. Why is that? Isn't that a strange? You can have it all day long, but you can't talk about it. Yeah. But it's rare that people have it all day long after they've been married. <laughs> and see, that in itself freaks everybody out because why are we not doing this? And actually, when we first meet, and we call it love, I love it. John Bradshaw says, we don't fall in love, we fall in lust. Mm-hmm. And we're really on a drug trip of an amphetamine cocktail flowing through our bodies, uh, phenethylamine, dopamine, norepinephrine, and then endorphins. The research says testosterone even rises in that. What we really call it is infatuation stage. So if we had a lower desire in that new stage there, infatuation, our desires might be more even. But after a while, those drugs stop flowing. And later on, somebody might feel like, well, I thought you liked sex, and now you don't want it that much. So desire discrepancies aren't abnormal. They're very normal. It's just, are they going to cause a problem? Once again, if you talk about it or go to your um, nearest sex therapist, John Wagner on Lee Road (laughs) and Linda Riley on Lee Road, because Linda is that too, we try and treat it with dignity. It's a subject that needs dignity. So, John, you mentioned something about hormones. Is why the proliferation of these low T centers you see everywhere, is that a... 50-something-year-old guy in desperation and trying to put some spice back into his uh, libido or energy. Is that what those are all about? Are those legit? Or I, I just well, I've often I, wondered. As men age, our testosterone level does fall, but there's 
therapies for those um, pills or things like that. We can have a low testosterone, a man can, in his 20s. See, everybody thinks all men have high desire and all women have low desire. But I've said, there's, I think there's probably about 40% of the couples that I've seen where men have no desire at all. They don't even think about it. That's and that, weird. that might be abnormal, but it's sad because nobody knows what to do with it. But there's a lot of things. If a couple comes to me, the first thing I have them rule out is physiological issues, you know, like hormones or something like that or antidepressants that give them depression. Uh, because I want to find out is a physiological or psychological issue. Once I've ruled out physiological, then I can trust it's probably a psychological issue. And I've always said if a man or a woman has desire for desire, they can find desire. But the problem is if there's been a long-term period of very low desire, then they get hopeless and think there's no way this can be changed. Hmm. So you have to be positive with them. I think it would be difficult to, you know, we talked briefly about pornography and about, you know, starting at such a young age. And uh, because it is so addictive, or can be, you know, you want to look at porn and, you know, especially as a youngster, and if you don't have a mate or, you know, someone to release all that testosterone and all that sexual tension and or energy, of course, you, you lean towards masturbation. Then you realize that, okay, this is like a great quick way for me to get this sexual tension like out of here because it's yeah. like it's pulling me down and then I can see where that could be it could become an addiction and it could become years of torment which ultimately could take away from your sexual relationship with your spouse so I could see where it'd be easy to shut down and not want to communicate because what guy wants to tell his wife that he looks at porn I mean, that's a hard subject because then the wife's going to say, well, you've got an issue. You know, some, she doesn't understand that there's more than just, you know, looking at and, and going through the act. Plus, they feel betrayed. Most men say, well, I don't get it. I'm just looking at a picture, which is true. But if they're getting gratification off somebody else besides their wife, and then the wife's going to feel betrayed. And a lot of them are headed towards divorce if, if they don't get a handle on it. Once again, they, these things are sad. Because it can be solved, but there's a great book out by Steve Artibon called Every Man's Battle. I don't know if you guys heard of it, but it talks about we men, how visual we are. And um, if you go to a sex addict group or a Christian group, they have the two-second rule, never look at a woman longer than two seconds because typically a man can start undressing that woman. Steve Artibon calls it bouncing eyes, <laughs> bounce your eyes away from that. I mean, what caused a lot of our problems is I had an affair that went on for a year in 91. So for us to be remarried is an amazing thing. That's another story because I ended up having a heart change by repentance. But I think it opened my eyes up by that heart change because when you have a heart change, telling a guy about a heart change is like selling air. <laughs> it really is because yeah. what's a heart change? And we're typically analytical. Hmm. Somebody looked like they wanted to ask something. No, I was going to ask something. How much does uh, affection play into the whole equation? You're asking a lot of good questions at once well, again. Why, thank you. I'm the smartest of the three of you. Well, I noticed that, that when I came in perceptive. right away. Thank I you, Jeff. I saw you were the better-looking one. In your... <laughs> he is an attractive young man, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> That's <a> young. I <laughs> like that, Doug. You're my favorite cousin. <laughs> what was that? Oh, affection. Affection. See, something like that seems like a subject that shouldn't have conversation, but I find that in practically every couple—now, I'm not going to say— Practically is where I qualified it. One person is more affectionate than the other. So what do you do with that? You know, it gets frustrating over a period of time. Once again, if a couple learns to dialogue and understand each other, they can find something that's a compromise where they can meet in the middle that might satisfy both. Because it isn't just that somebody decides they don't want to be affectionate. They may not naturally be affectionate. And it could be a man that's more affectionate. It could be a woman. The reason I bring it up is because when I am um, trying to be affectionate, you know, I'm affectionate anyway. That's kind of my mom and 
Well, it's kind of like that. I probably get it from her, right? But it just leads to sex. I mean, it just does. And maybe it's because the person that I'm with, you know, she's very affectionate too, and maybe okay. that's a love language thing. Well, actually, it is. Physical touch and, is one of the five. Yeah. Love and languages. so then, you know, but it seems to me you gotta kind of be intentional about it. It's not gonna just come and happen. You know, you gotta. You know, I love her, so I'm going to show her affection. And that seems to always lead to better things for me. How long have you, how long have you been with that person? Two years. Okay, see, you're still in the infatuation, so it's no you surprise. You betcha. <laughs> <laughs> see, we, here's what. We really feel like it was designed to meet, mate, and procreate, the original design for it. Because I have found science can couple up with the Bible, and sometimes they're not really far apart. And that's one of the issues. Mm -hmm. But as you age with that person, I'm not even talking about getting older. I'm just talking about the relationship goes on. Between somewhere around two to three years, once again, it's a statistic and not everybody's there. <laughs> then couples, all of a sudden, those drugs wear off or whatever happens. Some think the body adjusts to them. Other people think it just stops. And then there's negatives there, and that's where the— well, Where do I get more of those drugs? <laughs> Can we go there? Actually, high-energy fun creates endorphins. So I always tell every couple, an endorphin bath a day keeps John away. <laughs> really. I mean, I'm being serious about it because that gets those endorphins. Like, I call endorphins nature's antidepressant, that it gives us a sense of security and well-being. Are you wanting to ask something? You I was just going to say, you know, those endorphins are a great thing. And my wife and I, we go and we work out together. Well, that's and, good. you know, and so you lift in weights. And anytime you do that, it's like, and when you're finished, of course, it's terrible walking through the door because it's like, I'm not really looking forward to doing this because it's going to kick my butt. But at the end, it's, you walk out of there and no matter what you do, whether you go for a run or a bike ride uh, or you're lifting weights or CrossFit or whatever you're doing, it's great by yourself, but if you can actually do it with your spouse or your significant other, then those endorphins that you're talking about, that's the great way to create it. Is, is that right? Yeah. In my case, though, I was in the hospital two and a half months last year, so everything turned to atrophy. So it wouldn't be very exotic for my wife to see me with five-pound weights. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> now, before all this, yeah. <laughs> so we don't go together right now. I'm trying to build back up. Because when you're older, your muscles turn to atrophy a lot sooner than. I'd like to also younger. say I'd like to say to our listeners out there that FKU 50 is not a gender-specific podcast. We hope we're talking to both men and women, and I know we got guys in here that are you know we're all co-hosts, and a lot of our guests can be gentlemen. So I just want you listeners to know that this is not gender-specific. I would like to just take a break and pause and thank our sponsor Garner Home Group of Knoxville, Tennessee. Without their generous support, this podcasts would not be happening. The Garner Home Group at Keller Williams Realty wants you to know that their mission is to make real estate buying and selling an easy and enjoyable experience for their clients. As a company, they love what they do. They care deeply about the experience and interest of their clients and want to serve their clients exceptionally well. No matter where your next move may take you, Kent Garner and his team will connect you with the perfect realtor through their extensive network. Contact them today by visiting GarnerHomeGroup.com or connect with them on Facebook or Instagram. So I want to go back to something. Yeah. Affection. I'm glad you mentioned this, John, because it doesn't sound like Jeff was qualified. He's still in that infatuation stage. But when you've been married 30 plus... Are you throwing me under the bus, right? Like Just like that? I, well, he threw you under the bus. I'm just <laughs> throwing you back under the bus. So... <laughs> I've been married 30 years, and my wife loves foot rubs, you know, mm -hmm. and it used to lead to something, but now it's like, I know what you want. Just keep rubbing my feet. That's all I want from you tonight. <laughs> so, <laughs> you got to get bad. Son. It doesn't always end like that, but so obviously affection is a love language. It's touch or whatever, but as you age, it doesn't, you don't always get what you want. Do you? I'm, or there's still value in that, I'm sure, somewhere, at least for her down the road. In my case. The foot rub. <laughs> exactly. Nothing else. I'm, my key is I'm probably more affectionate than my wife, so that isn't going away. You know, you could have sexual dysfunctions, but I think cuddling, holding hands, whether you're in your boxer shorts or not, is I don't think that goes away at all. And what do you do when the other person isn't as affectionate you are? You find a way to compromise. 
My mom and dad were married 69 years when they died in 05. Dad said that was the only woman he'd ever been with. And I saw them their whole lives be affectionate with each other and hold hands and cuddle. And even when they were in their late 80s dancing and things like that. So that was my role model. That has a lot to do with it, what's our role model. But in spite of that, I think it's important. It's just that another person isn't naturally affectionate. There might be a reason for that. So in therapy, that's what we try and find out. But there's always a way to compromise. If somebody has a heart that's open, they can find ways. A lot of times I have a couple like yesterday. I tend to be solution-focused, try to get the couple to quit looking at the problem. And if they look at the solution, it's right there. But trying to get them to change that habit because they go right back to the problem, and I'm trying to get them to the solution. So eventually all went out. But I'm patient. (laughs) A lot of people say, how can you do this all day? Well, God called me to do this. That's why I can do it. I don't know where you are in your 30 years, but I don't think it goes away. Now, I was kidding, but yet truthful with you. You are still in the infatuation stage. So, so Jeff is in the infatuation stage? Well, no, stage. well I got a formula, <laughs> coconut oil, butter, and back rubs. Always okay. leads to the right place. Yes. All right. Try it. Okay. Now, the problem with that, here's what most <laughs> women say in my office. When my husband or boyfriend is affectionate with me, I know all he wants is sex. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's right, baby. <laughs> Outside in the hall, you all. <laughs> and unfortunately, that might be true. So how do you do that? You know, we're... There's a lot of ways. What's wrong with loving someone and having sex with them? I there don't is get nothing. the dichotomy here. There is nothing wrong with it. If there's a desire discrepancy, what's that from? Yeah. What is the lack of desire from? Is it psychological, physiological? See, she's just thinking, you just want that. That's why you're rubbing my but back and being affectionate. she loves the back rub. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and then two years, that's probably normal, too. Just, yeah. Hey, John, I, I got a question for you. Yeah. What do you tell people that, like what you just said, she knows that if we're rubbing their feet, I've been married 19 years, if I'm rubbing the feet, if I'm giving you a back rub, how do you get someone to look past maybe early on in a marriage, early on in a relationship when you're talking about, like Jeff, he's in that early stage yet. We're going to keep picking on you. Sorry, Jeff. It's okay. But I, I have found with my wife, if I will give her a back rub, a foot rub, and then I know if she's tired and she really wants to go to sleep. And I know if I ask, she'll she'll do. If I say, hey, let's let's do it, we're going to do it. What do you say, Randy? What do you say? I say, hey, baby, let's do it. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. But awesome. this is James our last Brown. progress result. Is The radio show is now going off the air. Right? <laughs> well, that's it. <laughs> but I know, like, her favorite thing is if I rub her feet and then she likes to sleep with a blanket or a pillow over her feet. And I know that if I put a pillow, if I just put the put the covers on, put that pillow over her feet, she's going to go straight to sleep, and she's going to wake up in the best mood in the morning. It took me a long time to figure that out. I'll be honest. I was more selfish early on in our relationship, and I'm just like, what can I do to get sex? Because that's I'm a guy. It's what I'm thinking about. No matter what, it's always on my mind. But how do we get people to understand that a little bit sooner, that if you just do it unselfishly from your heart, like Jeff said, I love her. I want to please her. And if you do that and realize that as you continue that behavior, it's going to set things up, not just to get what you want, but your whole relationship benefits from that. How do you explain that to people in your counseling session so that it's like really clear? Is that the hardest thing to get through? I'm just curious. First of all, um, go back to the idea that the wife or the girlfriend thinks because you're rubbing my feet, you want sex. That's not necessarily true. I know we're talking to guys in here, but it's not necessarily true. It is possible to just want to be affectionate. Um, For example, I came home from my office one night, and I've never been a foot rubber. It's just something I've never done. So I put Susan's feet on the ottoman. I start rubbing her feet. She says, what in the world are you doing? I said, well, the last chapter in my book, and I tell everybody to go to the last chapter, is 60 ways to have an affair with your spouse. And I said, well, we got to do all 60. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I mean, they were sort of cool, you know, having a hot tub or— 
go skinny dipping in the hot tub together, whatever. Now, if you've been together a shorter period of time, it's, I would say, yeah, it had towards sex. But what happens after 30 years? Maybe you just want to be affectionate. Maybe you're tired. Actually, there was an article in GQ a few years ago about men in New York City working Wall Street and jobs like that. They were under so much stress. They were so worn out that when they got home, they'd rather masturbate and have sex because to have sex took so much more work, and they were exhausted physically and emotionally. That's 30-year-olds. So <laughs> what is it going to do to 50, wow. 60, 70-year-olds? So I don't know if that answered your question, but I'm all for affection because, like Kim, I'm probably the more affectionate one. So every couple can find the middle ground. So love and respect. The book, it's a Christian-based book. Yeah, Emerson Eggridge. Yeah, you know, a great book. And I think it goes back to the, the affection that we're talking about. You know, the woman, she desires love. And the man, he wants respect. And right. it's kind of a, you know, it's a two-way street. And uh, But the hard part about that is, and I know I've, I've read portions of that book where it's like, um, you know, if, if, if I'm not showing respect, then I don't want to show love. But... What the book is saying is that no matter how I'm being treated, that yeah. I, I as a man need to show my wife that I love her and vice versa. So what are your thoughts on love and respect theory? And I think it goes along with the affection that we're kind of we're talking about. Well, Emerson Egerich calls it the crazy wheel. A woman wants to be loved. A man wants to be respected. Now, that doesn't mean a woman doesn't want to respect it either. Right. But he says what's wrong is a woman doesn't understand to be loved. She needs to respect the man. And the man doesn't understand to the woman wants love. And, and so it's like how can they find that middle ground again? The solution's right there. But they're on this crazy wheel, he calls it. There's a part of our process we call it the merry-go-rounds like – seeing a greyhound dog race. I don't know if you've ever been to one, but greyhound chasing the rabbit around the uh, park. And if they get the rabbit, they're forever screwed from being able to be a race dog again. Sort of the same idea. So it's like we have to find out what are our partner's needs because all of us have probably been frustrated. Our wives have probably been frustrated. But think every underneath every one of those frustrations is either an unmet need, an unfulfilled desire, like something we've longed for but don't get, or a fear, like the fear of disapproval or inadequacy or rejection. So we communicate the frustration, especially in the area of sex. The worst thing we can do is in the middle of having a sexual relationship with our lover is to complain about the way the person's having sex, <laughs> especially men are external, women are internal. And so we go through a lot of changes in life. I don't know if you guys are old enough to have prostate surgery where the, um, I call it Roto-Rooter. <laughs> you get an enlarged prostate and they carve it out. Usually what comes with that for a short period of time is possibly impotence or incontinence. So that crushes a man's ego because it's our masculinity. So actually, there's quite a large percentage of men in their 30s, once again, that have a jet erection difficulties. You know, we all think that's older, but a lot of men in their 30s. Well, what happens to our ego? We'll probably have anxiety about even going there. And then we'll get well, why don't you want it anymore? That's because we're afraid to tell what the real issue is. And what causes that? Well, once again, it, it can be a psychological or physiological issue. Whatever it is, it's pretty it's broad. <laughs> well, yeah, for men, because we're external once again, right. and a woman's internal. But see, a woman, sometimes a woman has um, a loss of hormones in her 40s, and so she doesn't lubricate. The more serious part of that is called vaginismus. I think that's how you pronounce it, where the vagina just closes. Well, how do you explain that if you don't even know what it is, you know? Or how does a man talk about premature ejaculation? I've had a lot of couples in my office, and without the information, and then what's the solution? Well, solutions aren't easy a lot of times, so I'm not trying to say they are. But you sure can't do it on your own. Because when we're in that relational loop, we're not objective enough with each other. And if we don't know why or how or when it got started, it, it's just tough stuff. 
I know when I went through, um, I call it Roto-Rooter because they go up your urethra and carve out part of your prostate. I had a period of impotence and I freaked out. That attacked my masculinity. So now I was afraid to go there. So I, I think it's helped me because I've been through, you name a problem, and I've been through it, um, both being dysfunctional with my wife having an affair. So I'm pretty transparent with everybody. So then they know I'm not judging them because I don't judge anybody. But this subject of sexuality is a complex subject. There's a really good book out called Resurrecting Sex. That's by David Schnartz. Actually, David Schnartz was on Nightline or something like that. Anyway, for 60 Minutes, they had David Snarch on there with three couples that weren't having any sex at all. So if they're going to do that on primetime TV, that's an issue. And for publishers to publish books like Resurrecting Sex or Pat Love's book is called Hot Monogamy, and there was one other one out there I can't remember right now. That's another thing that goes with being 75, <laughs> you forget. Mm -hmm. But those books are good reference. Oh, I know, the Michelle Weiner Davis wrote The Sex Starved Marriage. And so for everybody that thinks it's all men that want sex, the second book, and publishers don't release these books and spend the money unless there's an audience, was called The Sex Starved Wife. So I've had a lot of couples in my office where the wife was starving to be loved like that. I mean, we can either call it sex or making love. I, I prefer making love. <laughs> it is sex, but there's something uh, more connected about making love than just having raw sex. So it's more emotional, maybe, yeah. when you call it making love? So Well, that's what I call it. Yeah. You know, I'm yeah. not saying everybody has to you know whatever the couple is comfortable with. So, John... Men, obviously, they're in their prime in their 20s and their sexual desire. Uh, is, is there truth that women kind of develop that prime later in mm -hmm. life? During, can you speak a little bit about that? They're probably in their 30s, early 40s when they develop it. And we're over the hill at 30. No, not really. <laughs> when I hear that, I think, oh, God, my life's over with. <laughs> so, but that doesn't go along with the lore that he's doing it just to get sex. It sounds like they want it. Well, they do want it. I'm not saying. But they would don't. never tell you that. <laughs> but, but see, there's the, the, the woman really wants to be loved. I call it courtship. First of all, sex starts in the neocortex of the brain from the neck up. It doesn't start from the waist down like everybody thinks. Hmm. Now, I'm not going to give you a scientific explanation. So this is the greatest sex organ we have. It is. It is. And what happens, let's say a couple isn't getting along, there's stress and anger. It's like this metaphorical wall that gets built around that erotic area of the brain, which is designed to send signals to the arousal places in our body. That's not a scientific explanation, but that's if there's stress and anger or anti-fantasies or unattractive partner, that's what happens. On the other hand, if there's love and courtship, if a couple's able, unless there's some dysfunction, then they'll have a, a satisfying life of love and hopefully sexuality. Research says as you age, it's important to have a healthy sexual relationship. The one thing we haven't really talked about that I think is important, there is a chemical released in a woman when she nurses a baby. It's called oxytocin. That's why the mother bonds with that baby. We fathers don't have the same bonding because we don't have a child in our womb and we don't nurse. Well, the same thing happens when we have sex. Oxytocin is released, and that bonds us to that person in a deeper way. That's why I like to think of it as love and courtship. You might hear it phrased like this. Women say sex starts outside of the bedroom <laughs> with love and courtship. So I call it emotional foreplay leading to physical foreplay leading to sex. The way we're wired, we can go directly to the sex. We might enjoy the other, but we're not wired like that. So we'll go directly to that. Now, I'm not saying all women can't go directly to it either. I'm just saying, once again, statistics and researchers come up with that solution. So if I'm hearing you right, I take her to McDonald's. We go home. We have sex. We have our date, date night. <laughs> 
Right. Why go? Why go that high? Yeah. <laughs> McDonald's. I mean, you could probably find someplace cheaper how, than how that. about Crystal? Okay, Jason's that, Deli. That's more like. <laughs> <laughs> so, John, I know my wife. One thing that's really important to her is that she gets flowers and gets a card, and and I'm not talking about Valentine's Day or birthdays I or. I had I had one of my wives say, "Stop getting me these on Valentine's Day. Everybody does it." It's like, or, yeah. Or anniversary. So, so what Jeff said, why am I the husband? Why am I not putting myself out there to show my wife that I love her through, you know, random acts of love and, you know, emotional love? If that's what she wants and if that's what makes her feel special and makes her feel loved, then I, I should be getting off my ass and making that happen. And it's something that is not in my head. So it's something that I have to be super intentional about and super proactive to be sure that I'm making that happen. Because anytime that I slack and there's any length of time where I'm not getting a card or I'm not getting her flowers or taking her to dinner or making her feel loved and super special, then that's where some conflict will start to arise. And I want to kick myself because it's like, okay, Doug, you idiot. You, it wasn't that difficult for you to step up and be a little bit more intentional and show your wife that you love her. And so I'll encourage and challenge you men out there, you listeners, that it's really not that difficult to show your wife you love her. And outside of, you know, anniversary or Valentine's Day or other holidays or whatever, to go ahead and go out there and make that happen. And I will even challenge you a step further and encourage you and challenge you to get a card that is a blank card and not use the content or the words in the card to say how you feel, but go ahead and write your feelings out in this card about how you feel about your woman or your wife or and vice versa, the wife to the man, because my wife also does that to me. That's a huge challenge. It's a great cognitive exercise to showing your wife how much you love her. And, you know, I think emotionally that that's what she wants. And Doug, where did you get your degree again? What? I got my degree in the School of Hard Knocks. Yeah, baby. So, uh, <laughs> Good advice. And through 30 years of marriage and uh, rocky at times. But, you know, we're doing what we can to make our marriage after, you know, 30 years in June to be, we hope to go another 30 years, and that's after 50. And so I'm going to do the best I can because, like we talked about, yeah, sex is important to me. I want to get there after the foot rub, and I'm going to do the best I can to make that happen. Um, about what you were just talking about, let's say I give a card to my wife and I get frustrated because she's not excited. That goes back to Gary Chapman's book, Love Languages. And Harville Hendricks in Imago Therapy had the same concept too. If I love my wife the way I think she wants to be loved, then I get frustrated then that means I didn't hit her care button. So then we need to find out, well, what makes her feel loved and love her by what she thinks feels loved. So Harville Hendricks, in discussing this subject, feels like the golden rule is actually a selfish rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So he believes in what he calls the platinum rule. Do unto others as they need to have them done unto you. So Gary Chapman's idea of five Love language does have some merit. I think there's acts of service, quality time, physical touch, gifts, and affirmation. My love language is quality time. My wife's is um, acts of service. So before we found out all this, she would be the energizer bunny on the weekend and come in with red carpet and a trumpet fanfare of how honored and loved I should feel because she did all these things. And I said, nope, I don't feel the least bit loved. Then I'd spend the whole day with her and come in with my blue carpet and trumpet fanfare of how honored and loved she should feel. She said, no, we didn't do anything. <laughs> no, I'm exaggerating. You make a point. <laughs> it's just a little bit of an exaggeration, but it's the truth. She really gets loved by acts of service. She loves cards. She loves flowers. But that's her real language. Now, the only thing I don't like about Gary Chapman, it gives the implication that we have one. I think we have one major one. But a lot of times we make the mistake of loving our wife the way we think they want to be loved. So we have a whole exercise called re-romanticizing where each person writes down what is my wife or husband doing now that makes me feel loved? And in the second section, 
what did he or she used to do that they don't do anymore that made me feel loved? And then they share that information with each other, and sometimes it's shocking. You know, some things that make a person feel loved isn't a Learjet to Paris, France. Sometimes just bringing a cup of coffee in the morning or fixing breakfast or calling during the day. It's not necessarily these huge things. But in your case, yeah, if it works, it works. Don't stop doing it. (laughs) Or putting pillows and a heavy blanket on your wife's feet. I guess that works too. Whatever floats your boat. It's whatever the two people want to do is what I go by. So, John, you were telling us that uh, I may have been mistaken earlier that you have an office in the villages or you do not? No, I have an office on Lee Road Winter Park, but I make house calls up to the villages because I'd rather go up there where they feel comfortable because sometimes they're older and it's hard to drive. So you actually go into their home and and you talk to the husband and wife then? Yeah, sex therapy is not what people might think. It's not some radical thing where everybody's rolling around on the floor. It's talking like we're talking right now. And then I have a sextile survey that everybody takes that measures nine different areas of a sexual relationship like desire, body image is huge when we gain weight becoming older. Those body image things can cut desire in half. But anyway, when they get done with these nine areas, they put it on a couple's graph, and then they see where they're apart, where they're close. So then I give them sheets to take home, and they dialogue. Once again, they talk about it. That's half the battle, I suppose. It's just open communication. But like you say, you don't know what you don't know. You know, and you said earlier that you got to be aware of what the problem is, and that's why people need need you. I think if you feel safe enough to be totally vulnerable with each other, because one day I asked Susan to mirror me, and she mirroring is where we repeat what our partner's saying. Because if I ever was vulnerable before, she said, well, you shouldn't feel that way. You've done all these amazing things. And I didn't need to hear that because <laughs> that was just another accolade. I've had plenty of those. But I mirrored her or she mirrored me all the way where I told her things I've never told anybody. Doctor, therapist, God already knew it. When she got done, she said, you know, I could see why you've been struggling with that. Now, that was like or like having an aphrodisiac without the sex and knock the ball just to know you can be that vulnerable because that's the key. The more vulnerable we can learn to be with each other, the more connected we're going to be. You said a, a few minutes ago that, you know, whatever the two couples want to do, and let them do it. That's fine. Yeah, because there's a lot of different, obviously, adventuresome so, things they I, could do. What if a couple wants to go, one wants to go to like a nude beach or something like that, and the other one's not too keen on it? I mean, just go with it. I was actually invited to a nudist colony. A couple lived down there. And I said, I don't think you understand. If I go down there and take off my clothes, the whole place will evacuate. (laughs) So I know I'm not going to want to go there. (laughs) Now, maybe when I was 20, yeah. It's like, what, is there a storm coming in? (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's called age. (laughs) But um, that's a good question. What happens if one wants to do? It's the two people. You know, it's, I think whatever it is, whatever adventuresome way I want to, because there's really nothing mentioned about this in the Bible anyway. You know, it just talks about having healthy sex, but uh-huh. doesn't mention that this is not proper or this isn't. So I define it whatever two people want to do with the privacy of their bedroom or nudist colony. I always wanted the listing down in south of Kissimmee. There's a nudist colony there on the beach, and I prayed all day long one time, let me have a listing presentation. (laughs) (laughs) And it never happened. (laughs) You wanted to set up a satellite office in that community. Fully clothed, of course. (laughs) Somebody's got to stay professional. Yeah. So, Jeff and Kent, is there anything we haven't talked about or asked John yet? I think we've... Well, we need another 10 hours, actually. (laughs) Maybe we'll have to invite him back or uh, turn a super long episode into two. John, is there anything that that you'd like to leave with our listening audience? Yeah, I brought this out of my... um, This is actually how I educate couples um, when we talk about desire. On the sexual avoiders, the physiological suppressors are hormone disorders, um, drugs with sexual side effects. That's usually antidepressants, and it could be others. Depression are examples of physiological. Psychological inhibitors, unattractive partner, negative thoughts. Well, if you're arguing with your partner, 
and it's ongoing. That's a negative thought. Negative emotions, stress, and anger. That's going to create sexual avoidance. There's only been maybe two or three couples in my entire career that are having great sex when they're in the middle of a fighting all the time. <laughs> so that's no words. It's the brain. See if that wall gets built because of those. But what's encouraging is on. The sexual insiders, the physiological insiders, are testosterone. Women have testosterone, too. Aphrodisiac drugs or physical genital stimulation, that's actually physical. Then the psychological insiders are attractive partner, erotic stimulation, fantasy, love, courtship. There's those, that love and courtship. If anything is going to create connection, it's those. And usually that creates unless you've got something else going on that creates more sexual insiders. But then you have somebody who might have been sexually molested in childhood and, or they've been taught growing up that sex is dirty. And believe it or not, those things are still around raising their kids, telling them that. That's going to dampen the idea of being intimate. So they have a fear of intimacy, both relational and sexuality. So there's more to all these things in the background. What we're talking about is up here on the surface, which is the symptom of something deeper. So my job is to find out what that is and try and help them. Awesome. Ken or Jeff, any more questions you'd like to ask John? No, good to go on me. Thanks a lot, John. Yeah, it's nice to be here. Kent? I'm good. John, go ahead. um, I'm sorry. John, go ahead and give us uh, your website or any email or anything you'd like to share. It's... JohnWagnerTherapy.com is the website, and you can find my book, Rebuilding Broken Bridges, on Amazon or on my website. And I have an office in Winter Park, but I also have an office up in Ocala at times. I go up there and use that. All right, listeners, send us your story, and we will read it or play it on the next podcast. You can leave a voicemail or send a text to 407-399-8324 or email podcast at fku50.com. And remember, FKU50 believes there are two sides to life after 50, the age number outsmarting you or you are outsmarting your age number. Which side do you choose to be on? See you next time around. Good job, John, buddy. Thank you. That was good stuff. I, I wanted people to leave there. I don't think I didn't stress. A lot of people a great sexual relationship when they age too. And, you know, eight times statistics, I try and qualify it because yeah. it doesn't mean everybody's in the median. Well, the people that have a good relationship know that, but the ones yeah. that don't probably don't, don't know that, right? Well, they know so they're So if you tell them, they're going to go, sure, right, John. Uh-huh, yeah, right.